And I can't find where, I mean, I did, but it was just, it's a struggle. Oh, so there's no actual chronology to your notebook now. There, to be honest, there never was like, I would, I had a couple notebooks that switch back and forth from, and there'd be different, like no chronology. Really? I would never be able to do that. Like, I'm not like an OCD person or anything, but like the notebook's got to have some chronology to it. I mean, you, you, I showed you like my school notebook, right? Like it was like, you just oh, had the that one. That was awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. I'm not a note take. I don't believe in notes, you know, but I guess to be honest, taking notes for these movies is like, that's the most note taking like I've, I've done mm-hmm. in school. You could just look up the answers, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> for any of our young students out there, this is our school episode. You know, if you're, if you're in class taking notes, you're a sucker. You, you should just, be listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. True. You could just look up the answers. <laughs> so true. Take notes on the podcast instead. Here, I'll give you some stuff to take notes on. Uh, so the budget for one from the heart, the 1981 film by Francis Ford Coppola was about $26 million. Um, at the box office, it grossed roughly six hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars. Not even one million. Jesus, uh, a real film modite, if there ever was one. Coppola was really sinking his teeth into this one. There was all sorts of new equipment. Uh, his zoetrope studios had transformed into an artificial uh, Las Vegas, and he had, you know, innovated this like video playback technology to kind of have the uh, the then equivalent of what we now have as playback monitors on set, where directors can, you know, watch the action unfold rather than looking through the viewfinder the whole time. <laughs> um, but despite all of the technical marvels, despite all of the innovations, despite all of the burning passion and dark disparity, and despite all of the music and flair, this film has, I said earlier, as much of a film modite as we've ever talked about. This is like a uh, kind of tanked his career for a while. Yeah. Well, didn't does Cotton Club comes out after this, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I also, I know, like, I thought it was this one, so I was going to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. I think, like, there was, like, some crime involved of, like, getting funding for, like, Cotton Club, where, like, the producer might have, like, killed someone or, like, ended up in jail or something like that. So, it's, like, just to say, Coppola kind of heads down the little dark path after this movie kind of fails, and it's, I mean, of you know, I think we all like the movie for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah, it's great. Very well-made movie, but... At the same time, it is like it is pretty strange. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is. 
you know, it's pretty convent like I don't know, it's conventional enough when you think about it, but it is like I could guess see like after him coming out with these alpha classics, you know, these godfathers apocalypse now yeah right after apocalypse now yeah, you give me this chick shit yeah you come out with come through with one from the heart and it's uh i mean it's amazing i could see the public kind of being upended by it but you know luckily we don't have to listen to the public we could listen oh, to ourselves we are the public yeah. we are extended <laughs> clip and we are the only opinion that matters that should be our new uh, intro <laughs> gonna get some radio bumper guy to do that one <laughs> I've always, I, and I will do this actually. I want like to get like a trapaholic style guy to do an extended clip drop. Oh Gotta my God. It. Gotta have it. Uh, JT, you picked out this movie. What, what was speaking to you when you picked it out and how did you react when you watched it? <laughs> wow. Good thing. Two part question and I'm looking for a two part answer. <laughs> Thank you. You sounded like Eric Alper with these prompts, dude. <laughs> Hey, I, I everyone was talking about this Eric Alper guy. I go to his page. The first thing I see is a tweet that just says the majestic Led Zeppelin, and it's a picture of Led Zeppelin. I see nothing wrong with this guy. <laughs> no, he get, hey, it gets us engaged. Like, yeah, I like you steering the ship for me. I don't know. I picked it out because I wanted to see more Coppola. Like, I have only seen like I don't know, pretty much the Alpha classics, the big hits. And uh, I was like, I know I'm going to like the other stuff, um, but I also uh, I was like, oh, what's what's he, what's his flavor on a musical going to mm-hmm. be like? I want to be a little sad. I want to see if this will make me cry. I don't think it did, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I loved watching this. Like it was uh, I, just the mix of it being like this incredibly extravagant style and then, like, I thought it was going to be, like, something more apparent of doing, like, the extravagant style and then, like, having them, like, split up. Like, I think, like, the tension for me at, between them, like, are they actually in a shitty relationship or not? And I think the answer is yes. Resoundingly, they don't, like, uh, they shouldn't be together. But the fact that they are anyways and wind up together and like are so hung up on each other is uh i don't know profoundly depressing in a real way that like speaks to a lot of the like failed marriages and relationships that i've seen in my life and doing something so over the top about it makes it incredibly sadder yeah (laughs) it's hey it's 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 a glorious moment for these people it's finally you know, you got musical about the most romantic love you could ever find, you know? Wait, what's the most romantic love you could ever... The main couple or the people no, they I'm find? No, I'm just going to know musicals in general oh, oh, okay, are okay. presenting <laughs> you very romantic love. Very romantic love. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and like, this is a much more complicated, complex mm-hmm. relationship we got going on here. And, you know, also, I think you mentioned, like, like my impression of this movie was spectacle. You know what I mean? Like, I always... And there is, there's plenty of like spectacle moments, but I think what's really great about this movie and what kind of sells like the more, you know, relationship issues home is like, you have that spectacle, you have, you know, all this and the characters are literally like right outside of it. You know what I mean? They're in this like house right outside of it. So it's like, I don't know, you always feel that kind of creeping in, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, the girlfriend character is like, I want to go out more, you know, I want to do this, you know what I mean? The, you know, the lights, they're they're tempting her. They're very, you know, it's a very attractive spectacle. You know, the boyfriend classics like, we got food at home, you know, why don't we, why don't we do this? 
but it is just like and how that affects their relationship and how you know they're drawn when they go out to it it's like uh it's very conscious about its spectacle and uses it in like a very intelligent ways and a lot of musicals are kind of more portrayals of working class people but i feel like this movie gets it a little bit more mm-hmm. in that respect so in terms of like what it is as a musical also it's not like these characters are singing yeah. all the time it's yeah. like it's mainly the music of tom waits and there's also a female singer that i'm blanking on her name right now but the music is by tom waits and uh, often is in duet and it's also not like there's you know singing going on through every scene too it really doesn't even feel like a musical no, it feels yeah. like yeah. a music video romantic comedy you know and romantic comedy is very loosely used here uh but it is kind of that like partner swapping structure of it where you have this lead couple uh the couple being frederick Forrest as hank and terry gar as franny and you see them break up earlier and you know it's classic like rom-com type structure you know you got the best friend that you vent to here played by harry dean stanton (laughs) uh but then what happens is each of them kind of pairs off with a new person that they meet on the street who is part of that las vegas lifestyle that very artificial lifestyle and of course this all taking place within Coppola's Zotrope Studios, this artificial version of Las Vegas kind of compounds all of that artificiality and makes it into this crazy kind of surreal setting where it's all just about like the passion of the performances and the very sweeping, complicated emotions. And so they they each meet a person. Um, Raul Julia plays Ray, who is like a singer slash waiter. And uh, Natasha Kinski plays Layla, who is a dancer. She's Uh, like an acrobat. She's an acrobat, yes. And um, since the movie's about so much more than plot, I'll speed through it quickly. Uh, They each have their like little whirlwind romance before heading back into each other's arms, despite the incredible uh, difficulty that they show together. It's like the it's one of those romantic comedies uh, or, you know, that romance structure where the low point where it's like, oh, they're really never going to get back together is actually the satisfying conclusion. But then they get back together and it's like, ah, why would you do that? You fucking idiots. But it just speaks to the pain uh, of the romance in this movie. It's just like the the contradictions, the artificiality versus the kind of, as you said, JT, the, the real portrayal of these kind of people. The characters feel very real. Uh, in their environments, despite their environment being a hyper artificial one. So it's like the push and pull of that and the romance being so clearly horrible and toxic, mm-hmm. but also the driving force of the structure of the movie. All these contradictions just make it an incredibly strange and difficult film in a very good way, of course. Yeah. And I think like in terms of artificiality, like breaking down in like interesting ways and also like, I don't know, being constructed for itself the way it plays with like um tropes of kind of the romance genre i think work really well for me like when uh uh terry gar's uh love interest ray is introduced it's like the a classic meat cute if you will and it's done phenomenally yeah it and it yeah it looks fucking beautiful but like he's lying out of his ass about it and it's like you get that moment there and that's like a point that feels like oh classic hollywood like uh, a romance musical like moment and then you it's just broken down where it's like oh he lives in a hotel 
Uh, or is that he lives there, or do they just go meet? I think they just meet at the dumpy place, but I, I, I'm not sure about that. But she's working at like a uh, like a travel place. Yeah, and she, yeah. She's the window dresser, and so she like designs the windows to look like you know Bora Bora is a place that gets mentioned quite a bit. But he's even like lying about like I mean he's going just, he's to a, Bora he's Bora. He's a fucking waiter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, that I don't know really pulls in like even if she is able to have like a relationship with ray that i think has more love in it it's still like built on a very like unhealthy ground and i think like the precarity of all of it adds like the realism of the relationship like just makes that for me well also like she's looking to get out of this you know artificial las vegas where she wants to escape to you know bora bora yeah and he is the fake version of the guy who has been to all of those places you know so it's like oh great match made in heaven (laughs) no yeah that's what's good about like kind of all these characters the side characters you know so to speak because you know even though it does kind of mess with you know tropes and in terms of it's like plot schematics it's like each character is kind of like involved in their own kind of like sad bullshit as well. Like, uh, I mean, Harry, like that, that scene where Harry Dean Stanton, where, you know, um, the boyfriend's mad, you know, because he's, you know, said that Harry Dean Stanton made out with his girl during new year's Eve or whatever. And like, they're going to have their conversation. Then Harry Dean's like, well, what about that one time, you know, you know, you cucked me or whatever. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just, and you just kind of see, you know, the strain, you know, they've had, on their relationship, even though they do buddy up after, you know, a little while. And then, you know, even like, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on characters names, but the girlfriends, Franny, like Franny, Franny, Franny's the Terry Garth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like her, her friend is just like seem seemingly pretty miserable going on like monologues. It's like, I don't even know why I sleep with the men anymore. I just throw myself at them and then I wake up in their room and it's awful. I don't know where I am. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, it, there's a, I don't know. It's really attuned to kind of like uh, the sadness, I guess, which is appreciated. Yeah, like it opens on, you know, uh, it's going to be the relation, the, the anniversary of their relationship, which is the 4th of July. And of course, so, you know, the the lighting of neon Las Vegas is compounded by, you know, 4th of July. It's even crazier. And they get each other these gifts that each of them just denies. They're just like, oh, no, that's stupid. You bought the deed to the house? No, <laughs> no. It, it, like you used our money. And it, it's just right away just confronting you with how terrible their relationship is. And before that, the film confronts you with how artificial it is. You get this stunning fucking opening credit sequence shot entirely through miniatures that were built. So it's like a combination of the the scaled like set version of Las Vegas and all of these miniatures of the casinos and neon signs and Coppola just like swooping the camera through them, just creating these completely unreal camera moves that you can only do like in a closed environment with miniatures and shit like that and it's really just a marvel uh in terms of the the world he creates in here it's like if you ever kind of just catch your breath in this movie between scenes of people talking and music blaring it's like you can kind of just look at the production design and get lost in that space and kind of trying to figure out the reality of that space i mean i think the like it just helps bring out like uh, I think a lot of character similarities and just like comparing and contrasting dynamics, like where it's the scene of like 
it goes in and out between Harry Dean Stanton's apartment and the Franny's uh, friend's place, oh, yeah. where it just like weaves oh, in through so that. Good. It's so fucking crazy. Because it does like a theatrical style of moving sets, like we talked about Baby of Macon, where it's like one set just like moves in front of the other, and then slowly the lights go down on the other end of the set. And it's like, yeah, that's something you can physically only replicate through like dissolves traditionally in movies. But here he's just literally laying one scene on top of the other in terms of the actors. And it's incredible when he pulls that off here. No, I mean, that's I, I mean, the probably the most impressive thing about this movie. It's like even if everything else was shit, it's just like what Co- how Coppola is moving his camera through these environments. And like like you said, the freedom he has, you know, through this kind of like. Uh, openly artificial Las Vegas and like he just really kind of kind of explore any visual interest he wants like I I love kind of like these kind of like uh, the bright skylines or whatever or kind of like that Vegas desert setting that uh, the the boyfriend visits when you know he gets a little bit contemplative and whatnot and uh, yeah I don't know it's like uh, I think Vegas of course is an obvious choice because it's like so in tune to kind of like you know this artificial uh, spectacle you know it's you know people use uh like uh you know th- uh calling movies like amusement park rides as like a negative it's like he literally built his own amusement yeah. park yeah here. and i mean i feel like it does have that like push and pull like i think artificiality in general is something that like has a more negative connotation but yeah. just like i don't know there's so much beauty in artifice in like every step of the way in this and the fact that it's bringing up like issues of like artifice and relationships and like how the accurately these people present themselves to each other or like their feelings for each other. I don't know. It, uh, it really gets at a lot. Yeah, I think the extreme difficulty of the relationship kind of like uh, measured up against the just the wonder of the roller coaster world of this set is kind of summed up in the beginning in their first fight when, you know, uh, it's like classic rom-com. Oh, you're this way and you're this way. And he says, uh, you talk a lot about paradise, but when you get there, you'll still be there with all your shit, just walking on the beach. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that thing where these people are in paradise. They're in this fake film studio version of Las Vegas. That is just like, I can't say enough. One of the greatest feats of production design ever accomplished in cinema. Uh, just the the combination of, yeah, as I said, artificiality and replication of Las Vegas and the way that the lights pour into every single room. And of course, you can control that to a T here. You're not using the actual distance of those neon lights. So, you know, the, the neon of the casino floods in, you know, hyper expressively. Uh, like each room is just glowing different colors at any different moment um and it's just i don't know that that combination of that world with the pain of the narrative is such a unique thing and uh to speak a little more on this set when godard was getting some funding from zoetrope studios around this time to make some of his like comeback movies in the early 1980s i think zoetrope contributed to uh both passion and and uh, Every Man for Himself. But there's a short film from 1981 called An All-Around Maid where Godard visits this set Ooh, while they're shooting. That sounds great. And he's literally just dicking around with all the equipment and like <laughs> shooting all the cool shit he can. It's like 15 minutes or 
the letterbox says eight. I remember it being 15 minutes, though, of Godard just dicking around at Zotrope. And it's kind of a cool, like, behind-the-scenes thing of the, the world of this film as it was being made. I have to check that out because that's just, like, that's just... That you know, that's just a fun scenario to think about. Just dropping directors onto different sets of other movies and yeah. then checking it out. Be like, what do you got going on over here? Like uh, Jonas Makis's, uh, you know, observation of Scorsese making The Departed. Have you seen that one? <laughs> no, that's that, awesome. It's like some, very boring to a point, but yeah. it's like awesome. For yeah. some reason, the it being The Departed makes it even better. For yeah. some reason, but uh, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I think like the balance of like kind of like the artifice and like the relationship issues and like how it like it affects like the lighting or whatever. And like, it's all spilling into, you know, every room, like you said, artifice, usually a negative term. Coppola realizes, you know, the attractiveness of artifice and how, you know, maybe, you know, you don't want to point fingers too hard, but a lot of Vegas culture, you know, might be based off of, you know, kind of, you know, a false promise, you know, bright lights you know i'm gonna hit jackpot at the casino although no gambling scenes here but uh uh <laughs> it's you know it's yeah, just film could stand to gain mm, a gambling scene true you know? you know it wouldn't hurt it wouldn't hurt i mean you know but no, kinda, i get what you're getting at here yeah. like you could double this with showgirls S- yeah. similar yeah. like promises of yeah. the promised land of yeah. like the the great American neon city of big bucks and big titty ladies, you know, like, uh, well, I, I say that was kind of crude, but you know, it's, you got to the point. That's the showgirl's promise. But I guess my, the difference is, is like Coppola is like, like that stuff's like, it's not weird and like kind of perverse as it gets in showgirls. Like the reason it's so like, like uh, alluring is that because it is alluring, like it is, yeah. you know what I mean. Even though it's not anything of real substance or whatever, but you know, it's like that. It's 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 so beautiful. It's going to draw you in. Yeah, I think Coppola really. I mean, in terms of like differentiating with like Verhoeven's perspective yeah. on Vegas, I think Coppola's very American perspective understands why it's like an appealing place to want to go. Like the, mm-hmm. I don't know how you can get wrapped up in that dream. Yeah, the one, the one sequence that where the movie does feel like a musical is when there's like kind of that extended dance sequence down yeah. the strip, and like that's you know he's pulling off all the stops there, and like I love kind of like the the handling of all the extras there is yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, like the you know especially with the dancing where they all get like a a scene, you see a bunch of different types of couples bust a little move. It's it's very like a. I, I very euphoric in, yeah. in a way that like kind of the rest of the movie isn't and like uh I guess maybe that's the prompt you know what I mean you'll you know you'll be marching down you know the strip with your riches right you know that's the promise but uh you know it's kind of hard to upkeep especially especially if you live there it gets a, <laughs> it gets a little you know much after a while uh I love the comparison of the two dates that they go on you know uh Hank's date is like the way it starts is with like one of the more traditional musical numbers where it's like a neon sign becomes a giant lady who sings to him, who becomes his date basically. And it's, that's just insane. But then you juxtapose that with Franny who thinks she's going to go see her date, like sing at the casino and he's just waiting tables. And it's just like kind of a bummer, but then he just pulls out all the stops in terms of his charm. And he basically just like, quits slash gets fired on the spot steals some food that he was bringing to a table to feed her and uh it's it's just like a really sweet kind of grounded scene just and i say grounded it's obviously entirely unrealistic but like grounded in comparison to the the spectacle of the giant neon lady (laughs) 
No, yeah, there's like a very like kind of charming like goofiness of how that like unravels. Like it, I feel like that scene unravels and like the comedic timing is really well, especially with like the boss kind of coming in. Be like, this guy's a bum. Like this guy's <laughs> the worst. You're done. You know. I, I like how he gets the other waiter. He's like, look at look, look at Javier. Javier sings and he waits and he doesn't complain. You gotta be more like Javier. And the guy's like, it's Javier. You gotta be more like Javier. No, so jam like you know, kind of one of its more comedic moments, and it's so jam packed with jokes yeah. and stuff like that. It is. It is kind of like a. I don't know. A more. Uh, I don't know. Just something a little different from what you've been seeing with the rest of the movie. And you also get the fabulous fucking scene after their dates, kind of, or I guess it's during the the whirlwind romances, where where they're walking through the strip and like all four just kind of bump into each other and they kind of all just kind of look at each other for a second mm-hmm. and kind of move on and. I don't know, just the the swarm of other people there and the way Coppola moves his camera around it. Again, it's the kind of thing you can only pull off in a completely controlled, closed environment. You can't pull that off on a real city strip, you know? And there's so much like that. Like the meet cute that we talked about where she's in the window and the camera is floating back and forth from between the storefront and the street and the sound design follows it so perfectly. And then there's the shot of Harry Dean Stanton driving around uh, Hank's new lover, I guess, for whatever reason. And he's in the front seat. I forget how it gets to that, but it's early in the morning. And I don't know, it's just against this, you know, matte background, but the way that the camera so like gently glides across the car from one end of the car to the other and tilts around is like, it's it's perfectionist cinema, but it's also within all of these whirlwind emotions and illogical decisions that, yeah, it's those contradictions that this film's built on that make it such a, uh, a difficult, brilliant classic. Yeah, I mean, like, I think you were mentioning at the beginning of the episode, uh, Malcolm, it's like, I can see why this would not be like a hit. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's like, I love it and it's beautiful, but just like, I don't know. Where's the angle? Where's the pitch? Yeah. Like, how do you like sell something this like, I don't know, difficult of a piece? You know, I like I, I appreciate where it like narratively ends up or whatever, but it's like this is also something in my head that could have been like an hour more longer, like or something like I don't like for some reason there's something about it that's maybe it's just maybe a selfish kind of piggish desire to say we have this environment where we, you know, we got all this shit set up Coppola. It's like, maybe we could pull out some more tricks, you know, or not. I don't know, but it's like, there's this mate, you know, I, for some reason I was left wanting a little bit more. I don't know what yeah. that means, but I felt like the end, not the very end. I mean, obviously yeah. the very end you could say is pretty cynical because the audience knows how bad it is that they're going to be together again. But the going into the climax, it's like, so going through the motions, it's like, yeah, he says, uh, he says, why not? in regards to chasing down the girl at the airport, like a classic romantic comedy. He's like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And uh, it, it really does feel cynical and kind of deconstructing that kind of thing, but uh, also leaning into the pleasures that that kind of bring, cla- that kind of classic thing always brought. And I feel like the way he shoots that moment there at the end is like particularly like, I don't know, it's less beautiful than the rest of the film. It's like jarring in the way where like, everyone is like sort of uh, like running in front of Hank and he's sort of being like cut off. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know that moment. It like struck me as significantly less beautiful and just more ordinary 
than the rest of the film. Well, it's where he has to sing to her too. Oh the, yeah, the plane, and you know everyone's laughing because it's like, oh yeah, we haven't heard this guy sing. Yeah, we've been hearing Tom Waits crooning in a way. And by the way, I generally liked the soundtrack. I, I thought it was a pretty good, good job, Tom Waits. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. say it. Uh, Eddie, Eddie's turning around at old Mister Waits. I'm not going to go that far. My favorite <laughs> artist, <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm and his swordfish trombones tattoo running up True. his leg. I got a pin. <laughs> it's on my backpack it's on one of my straps <laughs> um anyway uh yeah the, the music is like it's weird how unobtrusive it is for being a musical it's like very just moody background music the whole way and i think it really works in that regard it's not something i'm gonna go listen to on my own yeah. but it's like it's, it's really effective for what it's doing you, you describing it as like a music video romantic comedy i think is a more apt descriptor because like it doesn't like get into yeah like like the music doesn't interact with the movie in a way a normal musical does but i guess you know there's no there's no rules to this stuff you know and i mean you could kind of do what you want but it's just yeah I, it's uh it's, it's it's a nice background to what's going on it kind of a uh, you know how everything's kind of overwhelming it's kind of like there's especially certain sequences where it feels like a whirlwind you know what i mean that music just can kind of up the the mood a little bit more make something a little bit more romantic you know whatever so you know it's used like a tool it's good also harry dean stanton kind of looks like bob dylan in this movie <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about that He's kind of I like it's I, I don't know why it's funny to me that like they're both friends for some reason I don't know why they like, don't seem to like each other yeah, yeah. much although you know, there's like that classic bond there between them like when he's yeah. gonna go out Harry and Stanton like leaves him at his house he's like all right man TV's on there's some grass in the drawer I'll be back in thirty it's like <laughs> they've been doing this for a while True. I guess he just like Harry Dean Stanton just looks so much older than him or that whatever too. yeah so it's just like that age, oh yeah no that he age. doesn't look like classic Bob Dylan he looks like what Bob Dylan looked like in the 1980s <laughs> yeah like it that's that's just funny to me just like like a sick age gap between a good friendship yeah i don't know um any final thoughts on one from the heart jt um no i mean i thought it was a classic i like would like to use this as a as a intro to exploring more coppola like uh i think he he certainly has a lot of heaters there that i haven't yeah watched yet i think cotton club's a good follow-up to this one because it's like little like it's, it's like black and white but it's like it's still kind of focused on like nightlife spectacle nice and like you know a lot of like dancing and stuff like that um kind of i guess this was his you know his party time phase you know what i mean you know the, the early 80s you know he's kinda, you know he's made his hits you know now it's time to make uh, movies about the nightlife because that's where he was at okay godfather for the nightlife generation for the mtv generation <laughs> We'll see you next week. It's got to be love. I've never felt this way. Oh, baby, this one's from a heart. Across the sky
baby This one's from the heart 